Hello, lovelies. Welcome to the Fat Joy Podcast, where we talk each week about how to flourish in an anti-fat world. I'm Sophia Apostle, a fat professional coach who loves talking to other fat people about what it's like to live within oppressive systems that marginalize our bodies and how we still dare to have the audacity and courage to reach towards our collective liberation and embrace our joy. Please know this is an adult content podcast, so there will be swears. We will be talking about harms we've experienced, and we will be rebelling against weight stigma, diet culture, fat phobia, ableism, racism, etc. You can get more Fat Joy goodness, including how you can support the podcast through my newsletter at fatjoy.substack.com. And for episode transcripts, book reviews, and show notes, head to the Fat Joy website at fatjoy.life. I am so glad you're here. Enjoy this episode. Hello, lovelies. Welcome back to the Fat Joy Podcast. I'm your host, Sophia Apostle, and I am so excited. I'm actually singing to talk to my guest today, which is Jeannie Finlay. So for those of you who may not know that name, Jeannie is the person who directed the Your Fat Friend movie, which of course starred our beloved fat icon, Aubrey Gordon. And Jeannie, oh my God, I'm so excited to get all the behind the scenes info on this movie. (laughs) So thank you for being here. Oh, you're so welcome. It's lovely to be asked to do this, Sophia. Thank you. Yay. Um, Okay, so Jeannie, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about you? Because you have got some creds, my friend. Well, um, well, my name's Jeannie. I'm a filmmaker. I'm an artist turned filmmaker. And I'm talking to you from Nottingham in England. So right in the centre of the UK. Um, I've made a bunch of films. I've Your Fat Friend is my ninth feature film. Um, I love making documentaries. They're all documentaries. They're all feature films. So I've made films about sea... I've, Sorry. <laughs> um, I made a film called Seahorse, which is about a trans guy getting pregnant and having a baby. Um, I was embedded on the final season of Game of Thrones, so I made a film called Game of Thrones The Last Watch on the final season. They let me make an observational documentary. It's so good. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I've made films about liars and pretenders and masked men about the smallest record shop in the town where I grew up. But most of all, I mean, I describe my films as um, shy people telling small stories quietly. Oh, yes. I would say that Aubrey Gordon (laughs) (laughs) is the loudest, quiet person I've ever met in my life. But I'm interested in stories that are sort of off the beaten track, that are not told by alpha males. Shall we just... Bless you for that, Jeannie. We need non-alpha male stories. I mean, there's a whole, there's a load of streamers out there that you can watch a whole bunch of stuff. So making work independently means that I can choose the stories I want to tell. Yeah. Oh, that's a total joy. Yeah, absolutely. I have a million questions to ask, but I'm going to stick with my classic second question on this podcast, which is... What is your own relationship with journey with the word fat? Well, it's um it's a complicated journey with a few little detours. 
Um, for such a small three-letter word, it's very potent, isn't it? Um, I mean, I guess I probably heard the word fat in relation to me when I was probably about seven. I moved to house um, to the northeast and started being called like a fat kid. And um, I was probably just a little chubby kid, you know. Um, I think fat is a very go-to, easy descriptor to to give to young children. And it's something I've sort of heard all of my life, whether um, no matter what size I am, you know, I've been a lot smaller than I am now. I've been bigger. Um, but I guess my relationship with it was something, it was like an itch I wanted to scratch. And that's why I wanted to make a film about it. I knew that this was like a deep well of feelings for me, but I also got the sense that this was a deep well of feelings for other people. Um, I started making Your Fat Friend because I was seeing the word fat um, creeping into Instagram in a way that I'd only ever seen it existing in fat politics. And I kind of thought, mm, this is interesting. And thought, I want to explore. The Initially, I thought, oh, I'm going to do a film about dieting. And I was like, no, it's the <laughs> fat. Yeah, <laughs> I, want, I want to dive into the fat. And so I was going to do this essay film, you know, where you just, you explore a topic, like Adam Curtis, the great British documentary maker. I thought, you know, I can do that. And, you know, it's not where my strengths lie. I like messy, I make, like making <laughs> messy films about, the complexities of being a human being. Um, so I started meeting people and talking to them about how they were dealing with fatness, whether that was writing about it, blogging about it, doing fashion and stuff. And I very quickly sort of started stumbling into you go girl, love yourself, body positivity. And I was just like, this is not what I want to make a film about. I want to make a film about what it feels like to live in a fat body and how if you, um, you know, if you live in a larger body, if you're, if you're bigger than a mid-sized queen, if you're an infinity fat, how does that affect your life in a way that is distinct and different? You know, and how is fat not a feeling? What what does it mean in terms of politics and access and barriers? And so in all of this sort of research, I read Aubrey Gordon's first piece. Um, I can't remember what it's called now. What I Need When I Talk About Bodies or something like, something like that. Um, and as soon as I read this, I was just like, great. I love it. It's making the personal political. It's really emotional and engaging and I could hear on the page words written by someone who was prepared to put themselves out there but do it in an, an anonymous way it's very intriguing for me as a filmmaker but also um it was authored by a fat person it wasn't about them it was by them <laughs> and you know the when I made Seahorse about Freddie McConnell's journey to become a parent, the vast majority of media that I was sort of looking at for research or looking at with Freddie 
were made about trans people and not with them. And so this is the approach I take with all of my filmmaking. It was like, what do I, what do I bring from this as a fat lady? Can I call myself a fat lady? Am I fat enough? Well, I know I am. <laughs> my doctor tells me. Um, but also, what does that mean for Aubrey? You know, it wasn't a it wasn't a straightforward journey. It was very much a um, you know a multi part thing. Of um, there was lots of steps along the way to us actually making a film together. Yeah. Wow. As you were starting to explore this idea of, oh yeah, no, it's not about dieting or body positivity. It's actually about fat people living in fat bodies. Were you like, were you well on your way to on your own fat liberation journey, or did it, was there like a bit of co- coinciding that happened? Like, were how were where were you personally on this journey? I was still, um, it was something that I sort of felt very, had very complex feelings about all of my life. I'd, um, I went to Weight Watchers and found a community and then sort of caused a riot in, (laughs) um, a class sort of, I sort of started to question the things that we were being told and it was very, Oh, I was not in line with the group because I was being asked to, we were being asked to imagine a mirror of how our lives would be better if we were thinner and people were really buying into this. And I was just like, well, I would be smaller, but I would still be making film. My life would be good. And I like myself, not in an arrogant way, but in a just a, I know who I am and I think it's okay. And I don't like being made to feel less so that dieting will fix me. I want to live in the present tense. And so there was this sort of gradual realization of me doing research for the film, reading further, of just like, I'm not, this is not a good situation for me. Um, I started running and I felt so in my body when I ran, like I just felt strong, like this um, uh, half marathon runner. And I just sort of, I well, I just left Weight Watchers. Um, but it took me a long time to leave because one of the, it's a bit culty. It is a bit culty. <laughs> if you leave, your life's going to fall to pieces. And once you sort of accept that, oh, I might get fatter and that's okay. Like, that's not the end of the world. It's only the end of the world if you think that fat is not is a bad thing. And maybe it's just where my body needs to be. So, and I, you know, Aubrey says in the film, she gets all these emails from all these people asking her how to do this thing. And she's like, I'm in it too. And I would say, I'm in it. You know, I'm in this. But... Making a film is a really sort of meaningful process to really explore how you feel about something. I was actually really curious about that piece in terms of like 
Do you go in with an objective in mind? Like, I want to make sure I capture this or get this on film, especially with this, you know, your fat friend film. Or is it something that tends to be organic and unfold? Because what you're, what I'm hearing you speak to is like, oh yeah, I was in it as we were filming. So to me, I want like, oh, I'm in it now. Yeah. Well, forever. <laughs> you know, we're on a journey with our bodies. Um, I feel like my films, um, not to sound like the biggest hippie in the world, but my films tell me the way that they need to be told. So being an independent filmmaker, you know, I work with brilliant partners like the British Film Institute and Field of Vision, but they buy into me being an author of the work. And that means that I get to steer the ship in a way. And so initially... I thought I was making, initially I asked Aubrey to do a voiceover for my essay film about fatness. And then I went over to Portland and did a bunch of filming with some really wonderful people. And then I met Aubrey and I was just really struck that she was, you know, she was just starting writing. She'd written maybe one or two pieces when I met her. Obviously she studied playwriting at college, but you know, she. this was the very early days of Your Fat Friend. And we'd been speaking for about six months on the phone. And then I met her in person and she read aloud her piece to me in her kitchen. And she had this really tender, gentle voice when she was reading it out, which was really in contrast to her very full <laughs> full throated laughter of a person in real life who is you know she's 5'10 she takes up space she's this charisma bomb and then there's this very tender writing and I was like oh this is really interesting here's someone I can make a film about uh, and then I met her family and her family I met her dad and then I met her mum on the next trip um, and it became apparent very quickly that they were at a very different place with saying the word fat out loud. Mm -hmm. Like so many of us with our families. So relatable, so relatable. When I sort of saw that this very loving family were also in very different places, I just kept being struck by the idea of, what's it like to try and change the world and can you have a conversation with the people that raised you and because that's wild you know that's a really interesting different place and you know i use films as a way of sort of communicating with the wide world and aubrey uses her writing and the film <laughs> to do that um and so it just seemed to me that there was a there was a gap between where rusty and pam were and where aubrey was and the film could lie in in between and so all of these things kind of struck me because i gave them time you know i like giving stories quite a lot of time and then you sort of figure out what's where the strength lays when i worked on game of thrones the last watch uh, with my initial, you know, the brief, I was asked to direct that film and um, the brief from HBO was, 
you know, um, I sort of pitched the idea that I wanted to tell the story of the final season. But what I said to them was, you know, I'm, I'm an observer. I'm a listener. I'm, I'm a, I'm going to see what's happening. So you need to give me four months to wander around set and just sort of see who is interesting. Who's the storytellers? What's it like? And, you know, I would be on set with 500 extras and I just kept watching all these people lining up in costume and thinking, what's it like to be right at the back? And what I discovered was it's an absolute delight <laughs> to be at the back. So then, and then I found a really amazing storyteller in my crowd. And so, yeah, it's a similar sort of process with all the filmmaking. You ask a question and then you go, I'm constantly sort of asking questions of myself and of the situation and hopefully questions the audience would want to know the answer to. And then I ask them. So sometimes you hear my voice. Yes. I love that you do that. The question. Yeah. Mm. Oh, oh my gosh. It I told you before we start recording that I finished watching the Game of Thrones, the last watch uh film that you did this morning, and I'm a huge Game of Thrones fan, and I was like crying at the end. And you really did find like the most endearing, quirkiest people to tell their beautiful stories. And one of the, I always, I often hesitate to watch a lot of the behind the scenes of movies that I love or shows that I love, like Lord of the Rings, for example. I, I, I don't like to have the magic revealed. I actually love to just like be in the magic of it. But Jeannie, what I loved about what you did with Game of Thrones specifically, and I think this is true of Aubrey Gordon's, although it's a different kind of magic with Aubrey that I actually want revealed. <laughs> but with Game of Thrones, you created more magic by showing me the guy who makes snow <laughs> and the extra who had been there year after year after year and was beloved. And oh my gosh, the foul mouth site location manager who I just want to like go drinking with. Like she's brilliant. <laughs> Naomi, you'd hear her coming, swearing away. <laughs> and like, and it's so funny because there's this exterior, but then she's like in the mud putting down like uh, coverings so that people aren't having to drive and walk on mud. Like she de like deeply caring about everything that she's doing. Same with the guy with snow. Like every every detail everything is so meticulous and set for it i just felt like that whole documentary showed what a loving act it was to create game of thrones and i it just and you told it so beautifully through these really these people who probably would never normally be recognized in this way through their stories and we get like the star shots i mean i love that we got to see daenerys put her wig on or amelia clark put her wig on and become daenerys and there's some john snow and jora and all these things but like it was the 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 non like superstars actors stories that were just so compelling and i i just it made me fall in love with game of thrones even more Oh, that's great. Yeah, I um that was a wild film to make. Um and I was just sort of, you know, we shot nine hundred hours of observational material and I made I made that I made Seahorse and Game of Thrones while I was making Your Fat Friend. So I started Your Fat Friend 
then got the so I was having my interview for Game of Thrones in Los Angeles and I used because Portland's only an hour's flight from LA I used the interview as an opportunity to go and meet Aubrey for the first time um and then the film got commissioned so I was like oh, okay I'm gonna put this project on hold for two years or so but it meant that every time I was in LA I could go and see Aubrey again and do, keep the project going, keep it going. I mean, it's normal for me to have two or three projects on the go at the same time. Well, especially if they're spread over years, like Aubrey's, I think you filmed her over six years. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Was that intentional to have that length of time or is that just how it happened? <laughs> I know how it happened. So initially the film was going to be, you know, the I think the initial pitch I made to the people that financed it was, Oh, here's this anonymous writer. She's really compelling. What's it going to be like to her, for her to not be anonymous anymore? And so that was going to be the end. And, you know, Aubrey was going to go and do a book reading. And, you know, that was, that was going to be the end. And then the pandemic hit. And during the pandemic, Aubrey started maintenance phase. And there's just a lot more sort of stuff happening. You know, and I was out in Portland in February 2020 and I left two cameras in Portland I did like two weeks shoot I'd got my uh, plane tickets booked for the March the 20th so all those early pandemic days (laughs) when we took into Aubrey about do you think this virus is a thing (laughs) do you think um I can come back in like three weeks or something um and then there was a realization that, oh, no, <laughs> this is a global pandemic. But I spent a lot of those early days of the pandemic talking to Aubrey. Like we were comparing and contrasting the British government take to the Portland <laughs> Portland state. You know, there's a, it's a bit different when you can get weed. Weed is an emergency service in Portland and it's a class A drug in the United Kingdom, the same as heroin. Still? Yes. What? Oh, my gosh. Oh. No, it's wild. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh, so I forgot. I mean, I can't say I forgot about the pandemic, but yeah, I kind of forgot that the six years would have encompassed that, pro- you know, roughly probably one to two years where you wouldn't have been able to do. Yeah. So... When I when I was I was given dispensation by the American government to re-enter the country before it was open to foreigners. Uh, so I finished when I finished the shoot in Portland. People were still wearing masks on the street. So yeah, it was a you know there was a lot of considerations. Is it was it going to be safe to film? Would it be safe for Aubrey? Would it be safe for me? Was it okay to travel? It was weirdly like the quietest, I mean, arguably, it's the quietest time I've ever traveled. You just had, it was, it felt safer. <laughs> it felt best. <laughs> yeah, well, less people, less transmission like possibilities. No around, so, yeah, anyway. What do you have, like, do you have a most memorable moment or a favorite part of filming your fat friend? Yeah, I loved the freedom of it. Um, there was a moment when I came, I got back into the country, I was filming again. It had been 
two years really bef- since I'd been filming properly. And I really lost my confidence. I was really scared about filming again and, and directing. And, um, you know, I'd often have my um, director of photographer, Stuart, there, but he he would fly in from Albuquerque and then go back while I was still in Portland. And we did the shoot in the swimming pool. And... Um, I loved having the swimming pool to ourselves. That was really cool. But I was sort of a bit, I wasn't, it looked good, but I didn't feel like I was fully steering things. And I really felt unconfident. And then I sort of had this moment where I was um, filming Aubrey in the water and I sort of thought, oh, she looks like Mount Hood. Her body lying down looks like mountain range. She looks like the Pacific Northwest, we should film her in a hot spring. And we got Brighton Bush hot springs and they gave us permission. And because I had this like loosey goosey schedule, we were able to just like change all our plans. Okay, we're going to go and shoot in hot spring. And Stuart was still in Albuquerque. So I had to film. And I remember like holding my brand new. 4K camera on a pole. I was going to say, you were in the water, right? In the water. Because that shot is amazing. It is one of the big images that I have in my head, too. So I shot all of that myself. Um, like, I shoot, but I like direct, you know, it's good to direct and you have someone else do the shooting. But on Your Fat Friend, I shot, like, a real lot of the film. Um, and there was a moment where I was in the pool and we were shooting it. And she just looked amazing. And it felt like, oh, yeah, this is it. I know what I'm doing. This is good. And I felt like I'm back. And I know what I'm doing. This is okay. But I really lost my... It was such a weird moment that the pandemic of it all and being away from... being Not being able to do the thing that you do and you're sort of match fit. You know, when you're filming all the time... When we were doing Game of Thrones, you were filming every day all the time so you pick up the camera you have a muscle memory and I was just like oh I don't know how, I don't know who I am anymore and you were really earning it in water <laughs> yeah. but when I remembered it just felt like oh, I'm back this is great oh my god I have tears in my eyes from this story because what I'm so feeling is like the from from deep grief into like the joy of remembering who we are and that journey is that's so emotional. Mm. Wow. Yeah, it was very, um, I think that I underestimated the impact of, of everything. And also the confidence in yourself when you're directing that you have to have, you got to, you know, it's, it's like constant decision-making and And you just have to own it. You got to own it. You got to, it doesn't mean you can't be tender, but you have to know where's the camera going? What's it going to look like? What's happening? Can I, even if it's just, I'm going to make a space to listen, but you have to, you have to hold a lot of um, space so that you can, I don't know, extend space for someone else, hold someone else. And like, listen, I think what's really going on here. So when you're filming a scene that feels uncomfortable, sometimes I'm like, what, 
what's going on here? And how do I need to, what do I need to film? So the audience can feel the same thing that I'm feeling right now. That's a lot to hold. Awareness of your own body and how it's occupying space. Awareness of your own emotional field. Awareness of holding, you know, energetic emotional space for the person you're filming. Plus probably all the people around who are supporting what's happening. Like that, I mean, that requires a lot. You must be exhausted at the end of a filming it's day. It's so tiring. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, and have to be the decision maker and, you know, like, oh, yeah, ooh, that's a lot. Yeah, it's, I generally, like, do a shoot and then I come home to Nottingham and I just, like, I'm so, I'm so broken. But I'm fairly, you know, I keep, I keep going and... Yeah, you got to listen to your body and think about what you what you need. I took up um, powerlifting this year. Oh my gosh! I keep hearing from more and more fat people that they are doing powerlifting, and it is on my list. I've got a knee thing I'm working on, and then I want to like be in that strength of body. Is that what it is for you? It's really. Interesting. I've got Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which um, really um, progressed during the pandemic. Um, it's something I've had all my life, but I started to really feel the progression of it um, to the extent that, you know, I'm definitely living with a disability. What's it called? EDS, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which means that I have um, like one of the, it's a syndrome with lots of different um, manifestations, but one of them is extreme hypermobility in all of my joints. So it really affects my pelvis and my hips. So I've been banned from running. So I was looking for that sort of um, body connectivity thing that you have. And I got an award at the beginning of the year from the Chicken and Egg Foundation, who are a Chicken and Egg Pictures, which are a nonprofit that support um, female and marginalized gender filmmakers. Hello, it's Sophia, and I'm jumping into this episode to invite you to subscribe, rate, and review the Fat Joy podcast. If you've been enjoying the guests and their stories, please let the algorithms know by subscribing, giving us a five-star rating, and leaving us a review. You'll be helping raise awareness of Fat Joy because then we'll get ranked higher on the podcast charts. I mean, we're already in the top 2.5 globally, which is amazing, but I want top 1%, please. I love doing this podcast and creating the platform for guests to share their stories. So I would be so grateful if you can help me keep doing that by subscribing, rating, and leaving a review. Thank you, lovely. Okay, back to the episode. And they give out eight awards a year to established filmmakers. Why Why was the chicken and egg awardee at the beginning of the year? And you get, it's so good, you form a cohort of international filmmakers, but you're also given um, unrest- you're given some funds, but they're unrestricted. You can spend them on whatever you want. So some people pay off, you know, a car or, you know, do, it, do something sensible with it. Um, and I spent some of mine on engaging 
a personal trainer so I could learn how to power lift. And when I met her first, she's really amazing. She's um, an artist turned trainer. Um, so she's amazing. And, <laughs> and when I met her, I said, I don't, I don't want to lose weight. I'm not here. I don't want to discuss nutrition. I don't want to talk about, I'm not here to be smaller. I'm here to be in my body. I want to feel intentional in my body. And I want to, I want to know how strong I can be. And can I learn? So it's a really like slow journey, but I've now started, um, yeah, like lifting barbells and stuff above my head. It's, so amazing. <laughs> so cool. Uh, I actually interviewed Tamara Walcott who, Walcott, who is the strongest woman in the world, powerlifter. And it was like, oh, incredible. Yeah. In four years, she went from n ha no physical like movement practice to like literally Guinness Book World Record holder for being the strongest woman in the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's so funny. Like I said, so many people I know who are, well, a lot of the people I know are fat people. So there's a bit of a bias, but they're getting into powerlifting. It's very cool. I mean, I think we're generally strong. If you're, if you're lifting more weight, you are a strong person. Your body's strong. And, um, I always look up to Christina, um, my, I always call it, I think her social thing is Christina MacMac, but she's our, um, she's the was the social media manager on Your Fat Friend when we were launching the film, and she's like a heavyweight powerlifter champion in the United Kingdom, and she's amazing. She wears these great like um, like onesie outfit. Oh, she just looks amazing. It's so powerful, and it's like yes, yeah. I feel different since I started doing it. I feel, um, I feel more intentional with my movements. It's really interesting. And it helps me uh, hold a camera because it's so physical. Holding a camera and, like, just holding it high, you need, it's just the stamina you need to do it is, like... It's hard work. <laughs> I love it. Oh my gosh. I'm so inspired because I feel like what diet culture wants or demands of us is that we disassociate with our body to not actually pay attention to its wants, needs, desires. Cause other, cause if we're intentionally starving our bodies and it's kicking up a fuss, the only way we can keep going is to fully ignore it. Right. So we have some, so many women just, well, and men too, and non, non-binary as well. Everybody kind of walks around. <sighs> to some level, I think, of disassociated from their body. And so now when when we choose to come back to it and do something intense, some kind of intense strength training, not with the purpose of being smaller, but actually with the purpose of being more in our bodies and having that be the intention, oh, it is so powerful to to be connected and to feel the strength that lives within your body. And also finding the right person to work with. Cause I know that when I was, when I was going to, if I went to the gym before, there would always be, there was always this bro -y guy who'd be like, how many calories have you burned? How have you done face like spinning? And be like, oh, have you, are you counting the calories? And it was, there was never a neutral way for me to just have a, an active experience. There was always some 
dick. Yes. (laughs) Either you go girl or, oh, think of what you can eat later. And it's just like, can we not, can we reframe this conversation? And can we just, can it just be for the pleasure of feeling intentional in my body and feeling stronger and lifting something heavier? I definitely, I think one of the things that, you know, you're asking me what shifted and I think that, you know, the conversations I'm having with, so for example, the conversation I had with July when I started seeing her was, I sort of set the frame, the trainer, the frame, when I first met her, I just said, because she does need, she offers nutrition stuff for people that, are, you know, that's what they're looking for. Uh, I just sort of said, that is not for me. And I really do not want to discuss that at all. I do not want that to be part of my journey. And she's obviously respected that brilliantly because she listens to to what people need. And similarly, when I go to the doctors now, you know, I've learned. <laughs> I have the receipts now. But, I, but you know, when... When they do the, they get the big plate out and sort of say, do you know about, you could lose some weight. Do you know about the nutrition plate? And it's like, don't try to out-science fat people. Why don't people get this? I know. I know. Every this time. It's not my first time at the rodeo. So, so now I just say very calmly, 95% of diets fail within five years and the people are going to generally gain more weight than when they started can you recommend to me an ethically sound diet with proven results to give the result that you want of my body and if you can't what would you how would you speak to me if i was a thin person presenting these you know i've got a sore throat yeah (laughs) (laughs) What would you do then? And I've had a couple of doctors say, I cannot recommend a diet that works. Oh, I'm so glad they said that. Oh, God. Oh, I'm exhausted thinking about every person listening who's had to have this kind of conversation with their own medical professional. It's very frustrating, but I think that those... I think having the phrases at hand is very helpful. I mean, I I really like um, Reagan Chastain's newsletter, the way that they write, the sort of evidence-laden writing that they lay out about the conversations that they have with health professionals is deeply, it's really inspiring and uh, just great. I love that writing. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I've had Reagan on a few times and every, and the newsletter is incredible. It's, and this is what we need. We need to be able to go in armed with what we can say. Yeah. It's totally changed the way I go to medical appointments as well, where I'm like, no, this is my body. This is what works for it. You're talking to me about food nutrition. Have you asked me anything about eating disorder history first? No. Okay. So do you think you should? And I just like call them on it. And I'm, I'm much less triggered now. I've been working on it for several years. I used to like start crying. And now I'm like, no, you listen to me. <laughs> well, I think it's a real, one of the things that became really clear for me when I was making the film with Aubrey is, you know, she talks about it's a real paradigm shift to look at someone her size. And rather than thinking, 
that person looks like they should put a bit of effort thinking they might have put in a lot of effort and that's what's got them here. Sorry, I'm quoting from the film. But I think that that sort of paradigm shift is what I want audiences to think. And I notice it in myself now, just in terms of, you know, if, if you get on a plane and the seatbelt's tight or you can't connect it, rather than thinking, oh, I'm so ashamed, my body is too big for this space. I now feel angry about the capitalism, the capitalistic system that we're involved in that does not accommodate bodies. Um, and I think that's a really different way of thinking about stuff. It's a very different way of moving through the world to realize your body is not the problem. The chair, the medical system, the whatever is the actual problem. And I think what's so amazing about that and why I, again, just think this movie is paradigm shifting is that rather than being quietly sitting with shame, we're like, no. And one of the things in the film that shocked me to my core, Jeannie, and I've been doing this work for years, I mean, I have a whole podcast about it, seeing Aubrey's belly, like wearing her jeans, she's in the grocery store, and you can see her belly. And I was just like, I had my immediate thought, again, diet culture runs deep, my immediate thought was, oh my God, Aubrey, pull up your jeans, pull up your jeans. And I've like talked to Aubrey on, on the podcast. So I kind of, I mean, she doesn't know, but I consider us best friends. So um, I was like, oh my God, your belly's showing, your belly's showing. That was my immediate, you know, it's still there, internalized anti-fat bias that shows up. And then I caught it right away. And I was like, no, hang on. Watch this moment again. Because this is the, like... I have never seen that on film before, that you actually get to see someone's body, an apron belly hanging over jeans. And there were men, there were several times, same with, that's why I think that, that hot springs, you know, seeing Aubrey's like breasts and belly and like everything there. It's like, wow, we're actually getting to see. And it's not being, there's no like weird filter expectation or a, like a objective about it. Like you must see this as wrong or you must see this as right. It was just, this is a body. And Jeannie, holy smokes. I've talked to a lot of people about the film and those moments are everything. They're like, I think they're life-changing. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Um, yeah, it felt really important to me that we showed her body. <laughs> you know, it sounds basic, but um, and I didn't want to do it in a you go girl, let's all get a fat kini on and jump in the pool kind of way. Uh, which you know, that's great. There's a, you know, there's other movies that exist, and but you know, Aubrey's a kind of lone wolf. She spends a lot of time thinking. She's a writer. She needs her to change the channel in her brain and go and look at the Pacific Northwest. And um, she said to me when we first started filming, you can put the camera anywhere. You can film anything. And so I wanted to film her with a tender gaze and to show her body as it is and to get close. Like I filmed her with a macro lens <laughs> on her 
on her skin and um you know maybe a body just is maybe a body isn't good or it isn't bad it's just is and you know seahorse is similarly like that with freddie and his trans body you know the scars of his um top surgery and his um, bristles and his pregnant belly you know it just was it just exists and that's a very sort of conscious decision in the filmmaking well that's my gaze because i'm shooting the camera um and yeah when we were cutting it i there's a shot where Aubrey leans up and picks up a book off a shelf and it shows her belly off and i love that shot i love it so much because i don't think i've seen that in a film um not in a way that's intentional and you see the person's face and it's made with you know i was very conscious of the way that um fat bodies are sort of shown in in films you know they're a fat joke in wonka come on it's a brand new film and they've got fat suits i just saw a really disappointing interview with olivia coleman where she's talking about she's playing the quintessential evil character in a fat suit you know fat suit and i just like come on olivia let's not couple those no she i'm she should know better i love her now i'm sad. She should know better and but i think it's just i don't think even think that that's even a thought that occurs to people to immediately couple fatness and evil is just like what the what the fuck are you doing <laughs> this is terrible <laughs> um you know and you have the whale which is just a pathetic depiction of a fat body but also things like love actually i don't know if love actually is an international hit but every christmas people talk about how much they love that film i'm just like it's a horror show <laughs> it's literally a in so many ways but the sort of the chastising of martine mccutcheon for her smaller than average size thighs and they're calling her thunder thighs it's just so terrible and so you know one of the things i was thinking about is what if a body just is and takes up space in a good way in a fills the screen and also once you've decoupled yourself from the idea that fat is bad fat just could fat just is you know if um that's why aubrey said you can put the camera anywhere you know those are things that i struggle with and i've tried i've been trying to i've been sort of testing myself when we've been doing all these q and a's there's often a photographer and you're on the stage and someone is on the ground and they're shooting up there and part of me thinks oh my god those photos are going to look terrible and I'm part of me thinks I mean what does it matter it is my body it's just my body in this moment and if they meet me I'll look different and then I'll look different again they're not I'm not beholden to the image that's made of myself do you know what I mean yeah it's so powerful I used to be so paranoid about being seen that I wouldn't ever have my photograph taken, like, ever. And then I discovered 
that only 7% of directors are women. And I sort of felt like I owed it to um, other women making films uh, to be visible. And so I put my big girl pants on (laughs) and just, and got and learned to, you know, stand on a red carpet or, or have my photo taken rather than hide. Yes. Oh, I'm so glad you've done that. Yeah. I mean, it's not my favorite thing, but I definitely, you know, I will do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Jeannie, I have to ask you about the fandom because Aubrey Gordon is beloved. Maintenance phase is like, I, I mean, certainly the most impactful podcast that I've ever uh, listened to. And I'm just so... I don't even know what the word is. I feel like fat people feel beyond... The grateful is not the right word. Like, whatever the next level up from grateful is to Aubrey Gordon for everything that she does, the conversations that she has, the research that she debunks. Um, And she really is a celebrity in fat culture and hopefully becoming more celebrity in other culture too. But I imagine the fandom of this film is a whole thing. Tell us about it. <laughs> Were you surprised? What's What's been going on? Well, I mean, it's, it's kind of uh, amazing. I feel like being caught up in the middle of a hurricane sometimes. Um, like there's a lot of desire to see the film. So when we, I mean, it was crazy when we announced the project and we put the, I I remember I did like a collaborative post with Aubrey. I had my phone and it was like my phone was melting. <laughs> just so many things like coming in. It was just like, boop, 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 oh boop. my God. <laughs> um, and then when we went on, when the tickets went on sale at Tribeca, I think they sold out in something like 15 minutes or something. So I kept meeting filmmakers. It was like, you've got that film. Oh, okay. We've heard of you. We've heard of you. <laughs> Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been wild. I mean, I've dealt with fandoms before in the, um, you know, working on Game of Thrones, Game of Thrones at the time was the largest fan fandom in the world with RuPaul's Drag Race coming a close second. Oh, I love that. <laughs> um, and you know, so I, my film trended on Twitter for two solid days and was seen by millions of people because it went out in the Game of Thrones slot. But what happened was that when the film went out, people started sending me memes and it was just unreal, the amount of contact I had. But with the Aubrey thing, (laughs) it's just interesting with Aubrey because I've known her for a long time now and I've been on this journey with her. So I remember there was a point when maintenance phase was starting where it just felt like, oh, this is this is really something. It's really gonna it's really catching people's imaginations. And I could see, you know, I think it's I think it's challenging for Aubrey because, you know, she's a she's a confident, quiet person. You know, she's she's a writer. She sits and writes and 
does her writing and her good work and her thinking and her walking her dog. She's not a big public person. So even though her work has sort of blown up, that doesn't mean that you know, you get a manual on how to deal with that. So And taking her to Sheffield was really interesting. There was people that flew in from Germany and had driven the length of the UK to be in the same room as her. A lot of um, girls getting very emotional when they saw her. And we were sort of walking towards the venue for our um, premiere. I was, my, um, one of the people I made a film with died while we were at Rebecca, uh, Tom Butchart, who's one of my best friends. So I was just this sort of emotional mess, just trying to pull myself together to go and do the premiere walking towards the Crucible Theatre, this iconic theatre in Sheffield. And I was like, are we being followed? <laughs> and there was people kind of converging because they could see Aubrey and they wanted to be close to her. But then, you know, it's very lovely. There's like letters and a lot of people wanted, I brought books to get signed. So it's, it's beautiful. It's really nice. And we're bringing Aubrey to the UK in um, uh, January, I knew said June then, in January, because we're doing a UK and Ireland um, preview tour um, all around the United Kingdom and hopping over to Dublin, a little I Irish visit in Belfast. Oh, yeah, this episode will air February 6th, so I think it's kind of right coinciding with your big tour, oh, is cool. that right? We will have just been to all the venues and then we're doing Your Fat Friend Goes Wide where we're going to cinemas across the UK. So this is exciting. That's amazing. Oh my gosh. Did I see something about Oscars? Oscar buzz? Oscar run? Is this a thing? Okay, we did we qualified for the we qualified for the Oscars, um, but the shortlist came out yesterday and we're not on it. But uh, 167 films qualified for the Oscars. Oh, yeah, yeah. So in order to qualify, you have to play for a week in one of five cities. So I was like, oh, I had no illusions that we were going to get a shortlist, but it's really like, why not? Why should we not? Why not? Um, and so I went out and um, hosted, did Q&As at some of the screenings and met some really lovely New York audiences. We sold out so many screenings. It was really wonderful. I'm in Toronto and people were like driving down to, to go and to see it. So yeah. It's... Oh, wow. We're playing in Toronto in February. I know the Hot Dogs Festival. I, yeah. I, I already... Hot Dogs Cinema. Yeah. Yeah. People are already like, let's sell it out. Let's pack it full of fat people. I'm like, I will be there. <laughs> You're so lucky in Toronto having a documentary-only cinema. What a joy. So I played four of my films at that cinema. Oh, I love that. Are you are you coming to Toronto? Like, do you, how does this work for you as the director? So there are all these festivals, there's all these places it goes like, and I've seen you doing lots of Q and A's. How does, like, what's, I'm so curious about, like, the film gets released and then you still have so much that you're doing. Like, what's it like now? What What are you doing with the film? <laughs> 
Well, it's, you know, we're doing this independently, which means that I have, a there's a tiny team. There's like me, there's Suzanne, who's the consulting producer. Um, and then we, I have an assistant, Sheena, um, and that's it. You know, and there's, there's someone who helps with a bit of social media, but, but that's pretty much it. And we work with um but what we do is we have lots of partnerships. So we have a sales agent who is selling the film to broadcasters in Europe. And then we have an American sales agent who's selling it to North America. So you look at what we're looking at there is what festivals are going to show the film, what broadcasters are interested in buying it for their channels. Do we want to do a streamer deal or can we, for me, it's really important that the film is rolled out and given the same care and attention that it was made with. And with distribution, that's really challenging. And so one of the ways of making sure that, you know, one of the things we've been doing in the UK with cinemas is we've been working with Toll Stories, that are an independent distributor, is sort of saying to Johnny Toll, <laughs> you have to talk to the theatres and we want all of the theatres to measure the seats in their cinemas. And we want them to do one of three things. One, list it on the listing for the film so people know what's going on. Two, think about what alternate seating there is possible. Can you lift an arm? Can you make two seats? One. So we spoke to a cinema yesterday and there's so much trepidation about how to navigate this with audiences where the lovely cinema manager said, we have double seats and... We don't know how to word that for fat audiences to see whether they're going to be more comfortable. And I'm like, you say. <laughs> you just say, we have double seats. <laughs> we have double seats. Would you like one of them? Just let us know. There's no extra charge. But there's a, but it's a, it's a decision that we've made as, distrib as distributors that we say, okay, there's two seats there, but we'll take the fee for one so that someone's more comfortable. And as independents, you had the freedom to do that. Whereas if you were working with a chain or with a bigger organisation where there's less care and attention, you don't get to have those fun sort of conversations about stuff because it's like, this is, this is not your stuff, go away. <laughs> we're going to take your film and you're never, ever going to make any money out of it. You know, rather than if you're independent, you can you can be intentional with everything that you do. You know, the third thing that we want cinemas to do is to do an access audit of their cinemas. Think about the impact of their seating on fat bodies, because I don't think it's something that people ever think about. You know, Sophie Hagen is doing the Lord's work, trying to, <laughs> you know, do stuff about this, and we all go and friendly like me. I think in the UK it's not it's not a widely spread thing. So we've been trying to do a sort of positive action with the release. Yeah. I mean, even hearing you say at the very minimum we are demanding that the seat widths be put on the website. That I mean, that's how we that's what fat liberation is supposed to be, right? Like we're supposed to know what will work for our bodies there's there should be transparency like to me this is just like basic stuff that never happens around fat bodies 
You know, the fact that I, every time before I go to a restaurant, I have to call, do the labor to find out, okay, tell me about your seats. Do they have arms? Are there booths? Are the tables movable? You know, that should just, I mean, to me, that's just accessibility 101. And that should be there for fat bodies, people with disabilities, people with mobility challenges or impairments like that can't, you know, like, it's, um, I'm so glad you are in a position to require that of the cinemas because that's even the fact that I mean I as a fat person I'm like wow the fact that someone is caring about my body in that way is and it shouldn't be but is deeply unusual and again like the word gratitude isn't enough like thank you for doing that oh I mean uh thank thank you but also it's how it should be it is how it should be i know right and i can imagine these conversations you're having the person being like oh oh i don't know i uh, believe me <laughs> so for some of our initial screenings the person on the other phone was like what are you asking me and so i just said i'm gonna keep phoning you until you measure the seats you know, because I was dealing with the chain and they were like, well, that's not possible. I said, it is. You just need to get a tape measure. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I mean, they should have these schematics somewhere anyway. Like, don't people have like building plans? I mean, like they do. But I guess, you know, you have venues and people have limited time. And who's this annoying woman from England phoning me constantly? <laughs> I love you. Like, I'm just going to keep calling. Just so you know. <laughs> I, am. I mean, I'm pretty clear about that. This is just going to keep on happening. You know, don't. Feature documentaries are an absolute endurance marathon. And so, yeah, I'm a determined person. And so yeah. <laughs> the same with the, with the rollout. <laughs> Also, things like, you know, the logistics of bringing Aubrey to England. Um, we fundraised so that I didn't, I didn't want put, want to put Aubrey in a position that she would be put in economy and feel uncomfortable and feel anxious. You know, is she going to be asked to leave the plane? Is she going to feel uncomfortable? I want Aubrey to turn left when she gets on the plane. <laughs> left into first class. <laughs> exactly. But there's, but those decisions mean we have to raise more money to make that a reality. So we did. Yay. Wow. It's just, it's, it is such an anti-oppression liberated way of looking at how do we do this differently than what's been done? And yeah, it is. It's 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 how change gets made, right? Like, do you feel hopeful? Do you feel hopeful, Jeannie? For change in the world, for a fat body. Yeah. Um I mean I'm always I'm a really optimistic person, I think. I like I like making films and part of the films that I make is about sparking a conversation. And I think that social conversations can be, even if they're about small moments, can be really impactful. When I did a screening of Your Fat Friend at the Leeds Film Festival earlier this year, two women in the audience 
um, raised their hand and said, I'm here because I watch Seahorse and my child is trans. And it helped me understand them more because I think that films can help. They can be emotional signposts or they can put into words the things that we find difficult to express, you know, in the same way that music can or a poem can, you know, and I hope that my film can be a small stepping stone on the way to people maybe having a bit of a a different understanding or thinking differently about something. And that's the vibe I'm getting. people that see the film but from not from non-fat audiences and that's in lots of ways that's really you know i had a lot of messages from people like cis thin cis men like oh i've been a terrible person i'm like yes you have and i'm not going to absolve you (laughs) but yeah definitely about this stuff oh my gosh you've made me cry again (laughs) Well, well the world's a bin fire but it isn't all terrible, you know, things, I, whenever I'm making things, I feel hopeful. And there's nothing like, like showing a film in a full cinema and hearing people connecting. It's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Oh, you've made me cry again. I love it. I love those moments. I always, I always talk about how, like earnestness and bravery are my two favorite qualities of humanity. And I just hear so much of both of those in, in your work, certainly in this film and what it took to create it. Um, I don't know if you're allowed to share, or if you're able to share, but are you working on other things now? Do you have new projects or is it like just your fat friend? Oh, I'm, I'm always making a new film. I'm, I'm actually 18 months into filming a new project Ooh. but it's um i can't tell you anything more than it's this is a british story film in, in the northeast where i grew up um and i've been working with uh a range of people from a community and it's a very sort of powerful story moving story amazing oh well thank you for giving us that little hint that's very exciting Jeannie. Um, We're going to come to our final question, which is always about joy. I'm always curious how people connect to joy. Do they believe it's a practice? Is it something that shows up? Like how, what allows you to interact with joy in whatever way you interact with it? Oh, oh, I feel like, um, I feel like I have a lot of joy in my life. Um, I feel joy when I, can create things when I can make stuff and I feel joy when I feel very intentional in the way that I spend my time so you know I'm not a per- I'm not a morning person but I love getting up early and going and you know weight training or going in in the lake um going cold water swimming or I like being with my family or I don't know it's just I think it's good if I, whenever I'm able to be present in the present tense, those are the times where I feel the most joy, whether it's wearing a glamorous <laughs> dress, <laughs> you know, or dressing up or, yeah, just being with my family. And it's a normal afternoon and you say, this is a good time. 
this is good right now. This is all I need. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Presence equals joy. Yeah. Beautiful. Jeannie, thank you. Thank you for this conversation. Thank you for sharing the incredible work that you do. And most of all, thank you for making your fat friend and, oh, I'm going to cry a third time, and really shifting how fat people not only see themselves, but how non-fat people see us. So thank you for that. I hope it continues to be seen and and also that there are many more stories told. This is just one story and there's, an, there's thousands, thousands of stories to be told. We just need so many more. So thank you for your amazing work as well. Mm. And for asking me on for to waffle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks. Before we go, I'd like to read a poem because poetry can reach our hearts in a different way. Poems can have us feel in a different way. And that's what this podcast is all about. Expanding our hearts, deepening our empathy, and inviting in joy. So each week, you get a new poem. Jeannie Finlay's films were so striking to me because she shines a light on individuals who may not normally get that type of spotlight. So for this episode of the podcast, I chose a poem by Kirsten Durking called The Ordinary. And here it is. It's summer. So the pink gingham shorts, the red mower, the neat rows of clean smelling grass and spooling behind the sweeping blades. A dragonfly, black body, big as a finger, will not leave the mower alone, loving the sparkle of scarlet metal, seeing in even a rusting paint the shade of a flower. But I wave him off, conscious he is wasting his time, conscious I am filling my time with such small details, distracting colors, like pink checks, like this, then that like a dragonfly wing in the sun reflecting the color of opals like all the hours we leave behind so ordinary but not unloved thank you for joining me today my hope is that you're feeling a little less alone and a little more seen so until the next episode you can find me on instagram at fatjoy.life on YouTube at youtube.com slash at fatjoy and on Substack at fatjoy.substack.com. And please do check out the episode notes for how you can connect with my amazing guest and for the links to the poem. All right, lovely. I am sending you off with my 